right, welcome to episode nine of the Bike Pack Canada podcast with yours truly, Ryan Corey. Uh, thanks to everyone that tuned in last week uh, for my interview with uh, Joanna Croston from uh, the Banff uh, Mountain Film and Book Festival. Um, I know I learned a lot and I hope uh, everyone listening did too. Uh, news to report from the past week. Um, I picked up a ton of groceries yesterday. I'm getting ready to tackle the Icefields Parkway on a fat bike and, and starting to do research on, on what's open, what's not open and uh, learning that in the process, I'm going to have to carry a lot of my own gear and uh, what kind of food I want to take uh, for those conditions. Um, on a related note, uh, Bar Mitz, who was one of our sponsors for the summit last year, who I believe I mentioned is coming back on board for the summit this year. Um, they are sending up a ton of stuff and I just, uh, Paid the the duty fees today for that, so it should be up pretty soon. And uh, everyone that enters for the summit uh, by the end of February uh, will be entered uh, for a pair of bar mitts. We'll give one of those away. Um, what else is new? Well, um, confirmed talks for the Edmonton and Calgary uh, bike shows. So I've got two talks uh, each day for both those weekends. Uh, the first show coming up towards the end of February uh, in Edmonton. Uh, so there'll be a bike packing, uh, racing, and a bike packing 101 talk, uh, as long as some fueling talks. Um, so make sure to check out uh, uh, their website for more information. Um, and, and kind of dovetailing off that, I, I gave away some free passes already for the bike shows. And uh, I know this pertains more to the the road cycling crew, but if, if you're a fa- fan of uh, former pro cyclist uh, Tyler Hamilton, I've got some special uh, VIP tickets to give away. And uh, you'll want to sign up for our uh, monthly emails to uh, find out more information on that. Tyler will be at the shows uh, with his uh, coaching business, but also doing some talks. And uh, uh, for those that don't know the story, he was the one that, uh, or one of the kind of main guys that broke the the Lance Armstrong and U.S. Postal uh, doping um, spectacular story. Um, what else? Uh, tonight for my guidebook sponsors, uh, sending out a draft route, uh, the next, I believe it's the third route I've got sent out. Um, it's a route that goes up from Coleman and Crow's Nest Pass up to Elkford, up and over Elk Pass along the Great Divide route, um, over to Highwood Pass and back along the Forestry Trunk Road, which a bunch of us now know from the Alberta Rockies, uh, 700 race. Uh, okay, well, moving on. Uh, today's interview is with Denny Morrison. Uh, Denny, Denny and I, uh, for a period, uh, shared the same uh, agent in Calgary. Uh, it's funny to think I did have an agent at one point, but we shared the same agent, got to know each other uh, through Christmas parties and uh, kind of some uh, casual get-togethers and things like that. And uh, lo and behold, I, I heard that Denny is... Uh, Denny is into bikepacking a little bit, but but first, a little bit on Denny. Denny, um, for those that don't know, is a, a four-time Olympic meddling speed skater. I, I don't know if meddling is the right word, so medalist, meddling. Uh, he's got four medals, uh, including uh, gold in the team pursuit. Um, and many will remember his last run at the Sochi Games uh, when his teammate Gilmore selflessly gave up his spot uh, for Danny to race and, and eventually go on to win uh, silver. So a pretty great story there. Um, but news news of Denny um, percolated to the surface again on, on my radar um, later or earlier last year, I guess it was. 
uh, when I heard that he'd had a stroke and um, not not so much that he had a stroke, but kind of what was leading up to it. And what was leading up to it was um, that he and his uh, fiance, Josie, um, also a speed skater, uh, they had just spent 25 days cycling the Arizona Trail uh, from Mexico uh, to Utah. And the stroke, as I understand it, kind of um, came after that. So my my first question, Danny, is how the hell do a pair of speed skaters end up on arguably the toughest bikepacking route in the world? Is it the toughest bikepacking route in the world? <laughs> well, uh, for, for many of us behind the scenes, I had a, a chat with um, one of my friends, Neil Belchenko, who's set the record on the Colorado uh, trail. He he says that one's the toughest, but I think the, the going standard for many of us is still the, the Arizona uh, trail. You know, you, you have the Grand Canyon, you have, you know, you can, like for, for a lot of us, we're, we're comparing it to like the Tour Divide route, which is right. most, mostly just, you know, open forest service roads. So the, the Arizona trail, is, as you know, is a lot more, single track like a, a proper hiking trail so how, how do you guys how did you guys end up on that track um well I, I just thought it was funny that you said it was the hardest bikepacking trail because that was my first ever uh multi-day bikepacking experience <laughs> um, but it was it was uh it was awesome um i guess uh going back a little further than the stroke that you mentioned that i had uh, shortly after the Arizona trail um about a year prior so um, I was in a motorcycle accident and that motorcycle accident, uh, you know, I broke my right femur. I pretty much blew apart my right knee. Uh, there's a huge list of injuries, you know, broken elbow, punctured lung, internal damage and a concussion. And so that basically sidelined me from the speed skating season all summer in 2015. And, uh, and I missed most of the world cups and the world championships. And so I took all that time to plan this Arizona trail with Josie and, uh, so we decided to do it in April, which is the off season. And then the Arizona trail was really supposed to be like a milestone in my recovery. Like if I could do the Arizona trail, then I'm definitely recovered. And then I can definitely, uh, make a comeback in speed skating and uh, do the training and put in the work, uh, to make it to the Korea Olympics. And so, um, yeah, that was more or less, we decided like, well, what an off season. Like I missed a whole bunch of base training in the year prior when I was injured. So I need to get a whole bunch of volume back. So why not do 10 hours a day for, uh, you know, 20 days. And, but how did, how did you first learn about, uh, the trail? Like for, for a lot of us, that's usually, you know, the, the, the adventure we learn about after we've done a couple or done a few routes or done a bunch of overnighters. It's not kind of the where we first gravitate to it or so was it like a friend who told you about it or what's what's your connection there well i think because uh in the speed skating world our off season and because josie wasn't injured um so she was competing we were looking at the off season in april and we we're like well what where could we go in april like what uh, kind of adventure can we go on uh at that time of year and so it just made sense uh and we, she was doing a bit of research i was doing a bit of research and she came across the arizona trail and I thought, oh, it makes perfect sense because it's going to be beautiful and sunny and warm down there. And actually, they almost recommend that time of year to do it so it's not too hot like it would be later in May or in the summer. And uh, it kind of lined up, and then we were just like, okay, let's see if we can get our things together and, and do the trail. So did you guys start right from the Mexico border? 
Yeah, we started, I think it's called Montezuma Pass, and then we biked down to the Mexico border and uh, took like a, a fire road right to the border, got a picture touching the, the fence, and then uh, started on our way. And that was, that was, I would say, the easiest part of the trail. <laughs> okay. Did you have a GPS, or were, were you following a, like an Arizona Trail guidebook? Yeah, I had the Arizona Trail app on my phone, and it, it used GPS, but you could leave your phone in like airplane mode, and it, uh, it would still be able to track you, and... and there was a few times where, because the Arizona Trail is quite well marked with uh, signposts every like quarter or half mile or so, kind of remind you that you're on it or straight ahead or take a right. And uh, every once in a while, we wouldn't see one for a bit and just open up the app and it would be like, you know, so specific. Like you are 273 feet uh, off trail and you could look at the map, see your location relative to the saved map, which was saved on the phone so that you didn't have to worry about loading a map all the time with Wi-Fi or anything. And, yeah, it worked out really amazing. And uh, it's just incredible what technology can do. Like, I can't imagine doing the trail without that app. <laughs> yeah, no, I had a GPS, I had a guidebook, and then I took – or I downloaded the app as kind of an afterthought. And I was – I was surprised how great of a resource it was once I got started. Um, you know, it, like you mentioned, you can use it in airplane mode and, and um, like for the water sources uh, in particular, like to, to tell you where they are, but then also have the feature where, um, you know, people that have been on the trail ahead of you, um, there's there's the functionality where they can leave comments and, you know, tell you if, if there's water there or it's no good and, um yeah, no, it's it's a must for sure. So I I, I have yeah, to some of my some of my favorite comments on the app would be like pizza recommendations uh, in in the local area. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were biking uh, up the Arizona Trail passes um, sort of north of Kearney, and it says, "Oh, Kearney will deliver pizza to the trail if you tell them you're on the Arizona Trail. They'll even bring you some extra water." So so we did that. It wasn't cheap, but it was worth it. Awesome. And uh, I have to admit, I, I did some creeping on on social media, and I, somewhere along the lines, I came across a video of you two doing this, and um, I didn't realize uh, until I saw that that um, it looked like you were on a fat bike doing it. Yeah, I decided fat bike uh, would be the way to go because um, I would say I'm a bit more experienced on the mountain bike than Josie for one, and uh, I wanted I figured I'd be carrying a bit a little bit more of the weight than her, um, and yeah, just to keep us, uh, we, I wanted to ride with her, not like be a day ahead or, or even, even not even 10 minutes ahead, you know, I wanted her to kind of do the ride with her. So this kind of leveled the playing field and, uh, just made sense. And it uh, added to the challenge. I thought maybe I'd be the first person to have completed the Arizona trail on a fat bike, but I, I don't think that's accurate. I'm pretty sure there's lots of people on all kinds of bikes doing the Arizona trail. Yeah. Th- there's more than you'd realize. It's not something you hear about that often, but once you're out there, um, yeah, you start to hear more of the stories. So I, I'm curious, um, you know, you said you have a bit more mountain biking experience, but for, for Josie, how did, how did she find, uh, riding the trail? Um, you know, as, as we said, it's been one of the tougher ones out there. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it was a learning experience. I'd say she's learned quickly and she's quite a good rider now, but I think she came off the bike in, I want to say like half a dozen crashes that were, and one of the very first crashes was shortly after we had gone to the Mexico border and we were on a fire road and, uh, you know, coming around an embanked gravel road. And, 
it was so banked that and we weren't going fast enough so we fell to the inside of the gravel road in the turn and then it got really soft and uh and because i was on a fat bike i was able to float over that stuff a bit better and then she kind of caught her front wheel in it tried to pull out of it and then just buckled the front wheel and went over the handlebars probably in the first within the first 10 miles of the trail and on a fire road so i was pretty concerned that uh you know things were gonna get more challenging and that uh we were crashing like that and uh so but she uh dusted herself off and picked her up no problem so um there was a few times I'm thinking more on the single track. There's some quite tight hairpins, and she wasn't. Uh, you know how you just have to place your front wheel pretty wide on the hairpin, and then more or less just lean your foot in, go slowly, and uh, and crank your just crank it around. It took a few tries for her to learn that, and and one time she fell inwards and hit like a really dried up tree that uh, poked her in the in the chin and like left a mark on her chin for most of the rest of the trail. So you're saying that this was kind of uh, planned as a, as a bit of a comeback for you. Um, you know, what was it like getting your body back into to something that's pretty rigorous like that? Well, I mean, I was rehabbing for the better part of a year since the motorcycle accident, and then doing pretty extensive stuff. Like I'm, I'd been riding a bike always, um, like probably half an hour each way to my rehab and home from it. Um, whenever like once I could after the muscle crash and once my femur had healed enough. Um, so the trail was really just like, I want to get tons of riding in and, um, I didn't want, it wasn't necessarily that we were like crushing. We weren't trying to set the fastest known time on the Arizona trail or anything like that. We were, we just decided we're just going to ride. It's a continuous pace every day. We're going to stay together. And if we get tired, we're going to take a break. We're going to set up our camp early. Um, and we'll just take our time and we had allotted like i think 26 days to so 27 days for the trip and within the first week my my rack and my fat bike had fallen apart and i needed to sort of abort trail and get my uh sorry it wasn't my bike rack fell apart at this point this was in the first week it was my uh free hub uh wouldn't like it wasn't wasn't free anymore so it was kind of like i had uh a fixie <laughs> except that if i stopped pedaling my chain would just whip around eventually and uh, i made descending a lot more difficult than you would think like having to pedal and like i couldn't time my pedal stroke to like go over rocks and and bumps and things like that and so i had to order in a new part uh when we were in tucson which was pretty early in the trail and uh basically it led to a four-day delay in the trail and now all of a sudden our really relaxed pace, you know, we had fallen behind by four days and, um, and we had to start riding basically 10 hours a day <laughs> just, and just, and kind of keeping up, keeping on pace. So, uh, there was, uh, the adventures, uh, never ended on the Arizona trail. So were you prepared for all the, the hike bike that you would encounter? Like, uh, out of Tucson, did you, did you hike down Oracle Ridge or did you go around it or, uh, did you do the Grand Canyon? Um, we did the Grand Canyon, we hiked it, but, uh, we had, uh, we were lucky. We had, uh, trail angels, um, which you know, they can be found on the website there. And, uh, they were awesome. Every trail angel we used, we used a trail angel to get from the airport to the trailhead, as well as, uh, one of the trail angels we stayed with in Flagstaff, um, super nice, uh, man and his wife. Um, they were asking us how we're going to get through the Grand Canyon, just as you just had. And we said, Oh, we're not totally sure we might, uh, 
might put the bikes on a shuttle and have the shuttle drop them off on the other side. That shuttle wasn't open in April, <laughs> and so Brian uh, Brian Blue was the name of this man, and he uh, he offered to pack our bikes around for us, and we load the, lo- loaded up some of the panniers with food so that they were waiting on the other end of the Grand Canyon with food and stuff. Uh, so we only had to hike through, and he lent us his backpack to hike through with, so we got pretty lucky with uh, some of the people we met on the trail and some of the trail angels. Uh, they Honestly, they made our they made our trail possible in a lot of ways. Nice. Did you, while, while you were riding, did you encounter any of the riders that were doing the Arizona trail race? I think we started about a week after them. And, uh, so I, I don't recall, I, I don't recall, uh, being passed by them, but I think that they, the race, it goes from the border North, right? Yeah. Border North. So I was thinking like, uh, Neil, who I met, uh, referenced earlier, I don't remember his winning time, but it was something crazy, like six days, something. Yeah. I think six days. That's what I heard. Too. Yeah. So I was thinking like a couple of the front runners might've, um, come across you obviously, um, uh, you know, a week, week or so in, or I guess maybe two weeks in, but maybe not so. Um, do you know, do you know which day they start on? Cause, because we started on, I think April, I want to say April 1st. Let me just look at this. Jeez. So it, it's funny. Cause the Arizona trail went off. I think you went and then I must've been like a week after you, uh, oh, you're on the same time as me? Yeah, like I, I went, uh, I don't remember exactly when it was, but I went... Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, last last week of April, I believe. Cool. Oh, okay, cool. Oh, so we would have been just finishing up. I think we finished on the 25th of April or 26th of April. Okay, yeah, the the race, well, this year it starts on April 7th. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah, okay, so maybe missed you. Um, okay, cool. So what, what were some of your highlights, uh, lowlights from that experience? Um, I guess the lowlights would be just mechanicals. Like I brought tools and what I thought would be plenty. I thought I was plenty prepared, but uh, in hindsight, I can't believe that I didn't put in any of that slime into my fat bike tires oh, or tubes. <laughs> yeah, so I was uh, fixing flat sometimes for over like over two hours a day it was ridiculous and ultimately when i would fix a flat like from these um cactus needles they made holes so small that they wouldn't really leak uh when you were like wouldn't like blow air at you if you had your tube really pumped up and uh it couldn't even tell that that there was a hole in it or actually multiple holes in it and uh i just kept i had i had basically just slow leaks that would go flat in, in an hour, but but I couldn't find any of them. And uh, eventually, we got to a water station where I could dunk the tube in, and I found like no less than a dozen holes in each tube. Yeah, on my fat bike. So like slime is the way to go. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, I did a video when I got back from the trip, and I took my tire off, and yeah, I used the stand sealant and. Um, it was it was kind of a, an extreme case for explaining like why you know people doing these kind of backcountry trips should have it in. But so I, I showed the inside of my tire, and I had probably a good hundred or so needles still stuck in the the tire. And I yeah, said, they stay you, stuck in, right? Yeah, and I said like each one of these would have been you know more or less a flat tire, right? So like just just to keep that in mind. Um, okay, so 
like, were you experiencing any kind of chronic pains with, with your injuries that you sustained on the motorbike accident or were you kind of beyond that at this point? Uh, my right knee gave me some trouble. Um, not so much on the Arizona trail specifically, but just in general still at that point in my recovery. And, uh, it was to the point that my physios didn't want me riding in clipless shoes. So not only was I doing the Arizona trail on the fat bike, but I was also doing it in runners with, uh, with metal pedals hmm. kind of uh, adds to the challenge a bit yeah so i'm curious like you, you know you're an established athlete there's you know to some degree there's a lot riding on your shoulders whether it's teammates or sponsors when you when you decide to take on something like this is there to some extent like do you do you kind of run it by them or or do you have kind of carte blanche to do whatever you want um, I've run by pretty much every choice I make in life past my coach or my uh, support staff, but especially following the motorcycle accident. Um, I just wanted their advice on like, you know, uh, is it going to be okay if I ride a mountain bike? And that's when they sort of brought up, they don't, didn't want me like twisting my foot out of a clipless pedal. Right. So if I had to get off the bike, they wanted me to get off it, uh, pretty seamlessly. And, uh, and, and not risk uh, getting my foot caught in the pedal or twisting my knee and furthering any of my injuries. So I managed to make it through the Arizona Trail without uh, without any crashes. Yeah, and you're kind of in a unique position. Like a, a lot of us that, that take on these big endeavors, um, you know, we've done some training, but leading up to it, we, we probably haven't done as much as we need to, especially for the amount of climbing on that trail. And so our legs aren't fully uh adjusted but like you come from a sport where like lake power is 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 everything so i would almost think you'd come into come into these things with a bit of an advantage you wouldn't have the same kind of repetitive repetitive injuries as as a lot of us but how does like working back how how does mountain biking or or cycling in general how does that factor into your regular training oh it's a huge part of it but usually we uh, do more road cycling. I'm always making a push for mountain biking because I kind of grew up mountain biking and I just I love it. I think that it keeps your mind more engaged and it uses a bit more core and a bit more um, you know, quick thinking and, and things like that. And uh, so we probably in our training, we it's hard to quantify it in hours or in distance, but you know some, something between six and 10,000 kilometers a summer probably if depending if that's road biking probably <laughs> and uh like uh usually once a month we'll do like a training week of almost almost 90 percent on on the, the bike and even um just to give an example of how much cycling we do we traveled world cups this fall it was a four competitions long week and there was a week off in between and we brought our bikes with us our road bikes with us on that trip plus our rollers and in the hotel room on that week off we did uh two times three hour rides on the rollers um like five days of the week off so that was mid mid season right so it's just uh the cycling really keeps our our aerobic base going and uh it uses fairly similar muscles to speed skating and fairly similar activation between the glute glute and the vmo and and things like that so it's um yeah it's it's a huge part of speed skating is the cycling aspect yeah i would think the mountain biking actually would be a stronger case for the the glute activation especially with like standing climbs and uh things like that and then you grind it out right and that's uh yeah it's speed skating if you do the math like uh the we we take eight strides straightaways and approximately eight 
strides in the corner if we're if we're going fast and uh and we and and we do like a 30 second lap and so that's like 32 strides per lap which is like 64 rpm right so a mountain bike is closer to that than the road bike where we're you're usually over 90 or 100 yeah gotcha so you're in calgary and you said uh you like to mountain bike and I know of where my favorite spots are, but what are some of your favorite spots uh, to go when you go do that kind of training? In Calgary? Or, or around or, in the area. Um, I live in the northwest, so if I'm to say in Calgary, I mean, I think the Nose Hill is a pretty incredible gem for, like, there's little mountain bike single tracks all over there that you can find, and um, once you get to know the area well enough, I, I do one-hour easy spins on my mountain bike in Nose Hill quite often, and I've done three-hour rides um at nose hill without without taking the same trail twice if you just need to know how to like snake it up and down the hill and around the whole thing and uh, it can be a a pretty fun little trail and with very limited risk because nothing's too crazy in there too technical but uh i have a lot of fun in nose hill but that said if i want to if i have a ride on saturday and i want to get away for the weekend then uh i'm like uh the Nordic Center, I guess, has uh, some fun stuff like EKG. Yeah. And uh, if I want to make it sort of an adventure with uh, with Josie or with some of my teammates uh, who are new at mountain biking, then I'll get them to ride up to Spray Lakes from the Nordic Center and do the Goat, Goat's, Goat's Creek, I think it's called, yeah. all the way to Banff. Yeah. Grab lunch in Banff and then come back around along the river and it comes back to the Nordic Center. Uh, I think it's about a three plus hour loop or so i don't really know but uh, it makes for a fun a fun day yeah no that's a good one i, I think you, yeah you'd be looking at uh it's probably banff is about 30 so kilometers from camor yeah so you're looking at probably 60 70 kilometers for that for that road yeah um and the the part from spray lakes to banff is uh you lose some altitude and it's uh, pretty rolly and and um has small challenging sections and then kind of gets uh kind of gets a ambitious rookie rider um into it and then from Banff back to Canmore is I think you gain a little bit of altitude but maybe I'm wrong but uh it's a lot more rudy and technical there and it's uh, I would say it's challenging for a a, a rookie rider with some loose rocks and a, a lot of roots yeah no I would definitely agree with that uh description so that's the riverside uh uh, or Rundle Riverside Trail you're talking about doesn't get right. used doesn't get used that often surprisingly with um, uh, the Legacy Trail now in place the paved Legacy Trail from Camor to right oh yeah um, so I, I touched on it. I, I kind of want to go back to it but um, so I first heard about or, or you kind of pop back on my radar with the stroke and the Arizona Trail but where where did the stroke kind of come into that part of the story. Um, in hindsight, I was probably having, they're called TIAs. It's a transient ischemic attack. I probably had a dozen of those on the trail before I had the full blown stroke after the trail. And that's where like, I had some like vision issues and, uh, and feelings of like lightheadedness. Like I actually have an email that I sent to my support staff on the trail. It was actually just before we, or just after we biked into Flagstaff. So that's like three quarters of the way through the trail. Sent an email to my staff that said, uh, we never we ran out of food last night, uh, and so I think I was uh, calorie deprived on my way to Flagstaff um, because I was riding my bike and I felt like I was waking up from a dream on multiple occasions. And it's just uh, I think some 
some interesting things were happening uh, before the stroke, and uh, it turns out these are warning signs of stroke that I, um, had I been more stroke educated, I would have maybe been more aware that things weren't quite right. Um, so I feel pretty lucky because, I mean, after that, we rested it in, in Flagstaff for a day, um, and then we hiked the Grand Canyon and then finished the Arizona Trail. We had finished the trail for one day. Um, this is up, and we had hitchhiked our way to St. George, which is in Utah, uh, spent one night over there. Um, our friend came all the way down from Calgary, picked us up, and uh, we were, spent one more night, and then we were driving back um, in the morning, and it was I had fallen asleep in the car, woke up, uh, and that's when Josie and uh, our friend who was driving us home uh, recognized that I was having the signs of stroke, like a drooping face. I couldn't like control the left side of my body very well, and my speech was really slurred, and so they rushed me to hospital, and uh, and I was well taken care of, thank goodness. And did I? I think I read somewhere along the lines that you thought the stroke or might have had something to do with your motorbike accident. Is that right? Well, I mean, people always associate stroke with uh, as an old person uh, issue. But apparently, it happened. It can it can be common in young people as well. And so, uh, my stroke when they took me into the hospital, they did, did an MRI uh, with contrast, so they could see all my arteries, and my carotid artery had a had a definite tear in it. And um, the way the radiologist uh, told me was that uh, there's a <laughs> this is kind of technical, but there's uh, near the tear there was a pseudo aneurysm, which is like, like a bulging, like a kind of like a balloon for the side of the artery. And the way that that balloon showed up in the scan was that it it was quite old and it had been there for a while. They figured like the blood within it was all it was trying to heal it, you know, it was trying to clot it off. And so uh, these transient ischemic attacks that I mentioned earlier could have been caused by bits of that uh, clotting, like falling off and going up and, and affecting different parts of my vision and different parts of my brain. And uh, so, anyways, yeah. Um, that tear uh, can be caused by uh, trauma, which they, as soon as I mentioned that I was in a motorcycle accident a year earlier, they said, oh, it's like, it's definitely related to that. So, uh, uh, or, you know, or something else like, but I, like I say, I never crashed once on the trail and, and et cetera, et cetera. So you kind of put the pieces together and it seems like um, I, I like to consider myself a a healthy young guy, maybe not so young anymore, but a healthy fit guy who's dedicated my life to, to, to health and fitness. And, uh, so it only makes sense that, uh, yeah, that this terror was caused by something traumatic, like a motorcycle injury. Or you could just be an old dude. Yeah. I'm pretty old now. Pretty <laughs> <one>. <laughs> that was a pretty long winded answer for like a bunch of people, maybe not being able to tell you that maybe you're just getting old. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> Yeah, I've uh, I've uh, been reading a textbook on strokes, so uh, I feel like I, I guess I can't articulate it when I'm explaining it that well, but I feel like I understand uh, what I'm talking about, anyways. Yeah, no, it it makes sense. I I get it, and you know, it's it's scary. Like we we do these things in the backcountry, and I, I'm I'm curious. Like um, you know, you'd had your accident, but you rehab from it, and obviously you weren't anticipating having a stroke, but. You know, for those that, of us that have done a lot of this, we're, we're a lot of us are getting quite a bit better about carrying um, uh, spot GPS, you know, trackers and things like that. Did, did you carry anything like that with you? Um, 
No, I didn't. Because we're we were rookies. We were uh, bike packing rookies, right? And that's uh, that's again, like I say, one of the reasons I never had the self sealant in my tubes and my bike, my rack on the back of my br- bike broke. Um, like there's three bolts holding it in place, and uh, along the trail I broke probably six bolts. So that tells you something about how maybe overweight I was. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's a uh, it's a good story to use because. Um you know, as I'm sure you know now, like a lot of bike packing riders use uh, these these bags that affix directly to the bike. You know, via Velcro now, and you know there's por- there's porcelain rocket in Calgary that makes the bags, and um, you know the case that we usually make is that the racks are are heavier, and but but more so that the they often break due to metal fatigue on, on bumpier trails, which you know the Arizona Trail would be kind of the extreme example. So. Yeah, I think especially on on a fat bike because it's the mounts are wider, and so any side to side action has has more torque working against it, and so those bolts snapped off no problem. And I, w- I ended up tightening them every like twice a day. Every time we stopped uh, for water or food, I would tighten up my bolts, um, and I was astonished at how loose they could they could just vibrate out pretty quick. Cool. So I, I'm curious, like I've got kind of a weird fascination with injury because um, my legs are all messed up from some of the things that I've done. And I like to think that, um, you know, instead of being kind of frustra- frustrated by it, which you undoubtedly are in the moment that, you know, we kind of all come out a bit smarter and know how to train better and know how to look after our bodies better. So I'm curious with with the, the motorbike accident and uh, the stroke, do you is has anything ch- changed about kind of your day-to-day routine whether it's you know stretching more or how you approach training or your mental attitude um <laughs> that's a that's a pretty loaded question for a stroke survivor I, I think any stroke survivor would tell you that uh there's some perspective changing moments uh, along the way but uh for me i guess in regards specifically more to the motorcycle accident and the recovery and the rehab from that um, for me, day to day is you know get up, have breakfast, and go to training. And so now, part of my warm up before I get onto ice, let's say, is uh, is a number like of uh, hip activation and and exercises specific to uh, trying to re-strengthen some of the muscles uh, that were damaged in the motorcycle crash and that were damaged from the surgery after the motorcycle crash. So, um, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. So the, the the experience that you had on the AZT is. Was it infectious? You know, is that something you and Josie would want to try again at some point or on a different route, perhaps? Oh yeah, we we were talking about it. Like we were almost like sad about finishing the trail because it was you, we just got in such a rhythm and it was so like so much fun. I I don't know. Like uh, we're definitely doing another one sometime, but now it's just uh, we didn't anticipate the stroke. But even after, you know, the stroke and we got home, people would ask us, like, oh, how was the trail? I mean, other than, you know, other than the stroke, how was the trail? And it was like, the trail was awesome. I zero regrets. It was incredible. Um, and, yeah, we're thinking about the Colorado Trail for sure. And we're thinking about hiking the PCT, which would be a whole different adventure. And and at this point, it's more like these things are going to come after I'm retired from speed skating, most likely. Um, and when I have time to take four or five months to do uh longer longer trails but colorado trail is probably next and it's uh it sounds like it's awesome especially since uh, i didn't realize you, you said earlier that it 
that the Arizona Trail is a tough one, but I, I imagine the Colorado Trail has tough sections, but uh, I'm excited to uh, to add that to my list. So I'm yeah. not just an Arizona Trail guy. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, it's a bit shorter, but I, you get some higher elevation, and you know, with that, some interesting um, weather and exposed uh, passes. And uh, yeah, no, I, I'd be curious to try that one too, to, to see what Neil uh, is talking about. So when when you're when you're sharing these experiences with friends um you know like what's kind of your your elevator elevator pitch or like what what kind of made you most excited about bike packing or got you jazzed about it like what was your favorite bit about the experience was it the camping was it just hanging out with Josie like what what did you like most about it that's different from you know just going out for a ride in like Brad Creek for example um, I think for me, it's going from point A to point B and every day you're, you're seeing new things every day and, uh, it's just such an adventure and there's no, it's not a loop, you know? And again, like I, like I mentioned earlier, I spend sometimes six hours a day on the rollers in a hotel room, just like stationary. And I, I, I really dislike that. So by comparison, um, even to like even a bike to Bright Creek and back on the road bike in a day is that's like, I would say that's one of my favorite road bike rides. So, uh, that's why, you know, I'd rather go mountain biking at Nose Hill for three hours. And then I, you know, next to that, I'd rather go do the Canmore Banff, uh, Gold Creek trail and Rundle trail. And then next to that, I'd rather do the Arizona trail, you know, at the far end of the awesome spectrum, because you see something new every day. Um, the, you, the terrain, it's pretty fun. Like you just like, you're on this trail once a single track. I'm, I'm going to enjoy this part of it because I'm never seeing this section again. And, and even in, in the tough sections, you know, you're, you're hike a biking for two hours straight. Sometimes I don't know that might be an exaggeration, but, um, you're hike biking sometimes longer than you want to be hike biking. And you just think like every step I take forward is it's one less step I have to do ever again. Like I'm moving through this challenge and it's just, uh, such a fun challenge every step of the way. And, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I never went in totally prepared. <laughs> I had read things online where people were like, oh, it's like very bouldery and, and loose bouldery rocks that are super hard to bike over. And I was like, oh, I'm a pretty technical rider. I, I can probably get over some of that. And and I could, but then with a 100-pound bike um, and and fatigue in the legs from riding uh, for so many hours every day, it uh, becomes uh, – it was it – was, equally if not more challenging than what people described it as online whereas for comparison like the typical hike that you do up yamneska like if you read a guidebook it might say that hike takes five or six hours right and they're they're basing that off of um you know whatever person and and it's my goal to like do that hike in in two hours or something like that you know but the arizona trail it's it's more like when they uh, when they say that it's rough and and tough terrain and hike a bike sections when they say hike a bike they mean like it's hike a bike so you have your choice you're either going to be hike a biking no matter how good of a mountain biker you are or or i mean maybe these record setters don't but um or you're going to be like taking an alternate route (laughs) so um yeah i think the arizona trail was just such an adventure and and i just love i loved the sorry to get back to your question i just loved the the new scenery every single day and like you'd come over a ridge and it, the train changes just slightly and um throughout the trail like sometimes you're like oh i that's the first time i've seen a prickly pear cactus 
and uh, and you bike a little further and you see um, you know the Sedona cactuses starting up and you see a whole bunch of them and you're in a forest of them and then you bike further and further north and you start seeing uh, pine trees and and different trees that are more typical in Canada because you're so uh, so high altitude uh, near the northern sections of the Arizona Trail. And it just, it just like, if you pay attention, it, it'll happen slowly, but, uh, all, like, but it, sometimes it's like you blink and like, oh, I was in cactuses. Now I'm in a forest. And, uh, those are things that, uh, you don't always experience on a loop trail at Bright Creek or, or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I was just thinking as you were talking about, um, you know, what you like about it and, you know, for, for some of us, it's, it's just the ability to kind of eat whatever we want, whenever we want. And I'm curious, how do you, oh, yeah. how, how do a pair of, uh, you know, world-class speed skaters, how do they approach or how do you approach your nutrition for this sort of, uh, endeavor? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't want to put words in Josie's mouth here, but she, uh, she loves carrots and, uh, I think we had carrots with us for most of the trail, which any experienced packer would tell you that's ridiculous. They're pretty low calorie and they're heavy, <laughs> but, uh, that was for some reason that was a staple of ours. And, and we tried to keep, uh, you know, some fruits and veggies in there, but ultimately fruits, they got cut out pretty quick. They're, they're heavy and, and they damage easily. They don't keep well, all that. And, um, we started out with oatmeal for breakfast, uh, but uh, realized that, you know, boiling water, actually we did boil water every day pretty much for tea to start off our day, tea or coffee. Um, but the oatmeal kind of went by the wayside for us pretty quickly. And then we transferred to Pop-Tarts because they're uh, pretty high calorie and just quick and easy. And in the morning, at least for me, it's, uh, I just want to grab something and, and go. So, uh, uh, but one of, when my bike broke down in Tucson, we ended up hitchhiking and staying with a family uh, for four nights, actually, they took us in and were just awesome. And, uh, the first night, uh, we had, uh, I forget what the meal was, but I know that the saying that the mom said was, uh, hunger is the best spice. And they just couldn't believe how much we're eating. And we were like, Oh, this is so good. And, uh, and yeah, so now that's a saying kind of forever for Josie and I is that hunger is the best spice. And it makes so much sense because, those dehydrated meals and stuff, man, delicious at the end of a 10 hour day. And, um, actually typically we would have a, yeah, some, some of those backpackers pantry, uh, dehydrated meals. And we would, through the advice of my brother and his wife who, who did do the Pacific crest trail, uh, we would take a package of dehydrated mashed potatoes and pour that into one of the backpackers pantry meals for two. And, uh, and then add water and just mix it all together. And it worked out really great because it would kind of double the size of your meal. And uh, the spice in those backpackers' pantries is like, I'd say, pretty heavy. And so this kind of uh, makes the meal go twice as far and and is uh, twice as enjoyable. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was probably our, I would say, our staple for dinners was uh, one of those dehydrated meals uh, mixed with, uh, dehydrated mashed potatoes or dehydrated rice or something like that and sweet. mix it all together. Uh, sweet. So uh, like, uh, undoubtedly, you know, you, you got through this 25 day experience and you probably lost a bunch of, well, not that you're a fat guy, but you, you'd lost some, some fat and, and likely some, some muscle mass. Did, was it noticeable for you? 
it wasn't too noticeable for me because, and like I said, I was still rehabbing a broken femur and I mean, I had insane atrophy from that. And so I think I actually, all the biking and grinding away or hiking was, uh, helped me put some muscle mass back on. And like I say, we were pretty heavy on weight. <laughs> so I'd say we didn't uh, hold back too much on the food front. And, uh, the one example I gave when our trail angel drove our bikes and our panniers filled with food around to the other side, we packed those panniers with, uh, I remember like with like pop tarts and potato chips and, and high calorie kind of high fat foods. Um, cause you need it on the trail. If you're going that many days and burning that many calories, you need, I think you need to crush food. But I wouldn't say that we were the far extreme. Some people we met on the trail, um, they said that they like to just, uh, based on the, based on the advice of uh, some very experienced trail people, they said they like to eat a block of cheese and Doritos because they're the highest calorie per gram, uh, ratio you can find is just straight up cheese and Doritos. And, uh, but I'd say that, uh, Josie and I, we took foods that we enjoyed eating and, and took as much of it as we wanted. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, like, where I was kind of going with this is the question I never really thought to ask, but I get a lot of it through my work with Hammer Nutrition is there's there's kind of this, I don't want to say a new trend, but it's it's getting more attention on like a ketosis, like fat burning uh, diets. And it makes it makes sense to me, like it, it makes sense in, in the in theory and not so much in, in practice because, you know, we're, we're people that live in a carbohydrate world. Um, but the idea of using fat stores more t- uh, as energy, which inevitably is, is the case when you do an ultra endurance, um, effort, whether you're racing or, or just going through. So I, I guess I was, I was curious cause this is kind of one of those rare opportunities where you, you have a world-class athlete and to, to get an opinion on, you know, like I, I imagine like with, with your, with your, um, your speed skating, would you, would you say your diet is more, loaded on the carbohydrate end when you're fueling for activity i would definitely say so uh for for speed skating and the arizona trail diet that i just mentioned is uh is not my typical uh, competition diet for speed skating but yeah i 100 percent agree with you that the the high fat diets are are probably better for like I i would imagine they're better for like hiking and the long sort of endurance to sort of slogging along but i think if you want to like feel good and have, uh, have some snap in your muscles that carb- carbs are the way to go. But that's, that's just my personal opinion. I hope there's no nutritionists out there who are like anxiously awaiting to comment on this or something, but, um, <laughs> no, yeah, I, I don't yeah. know. I think one, you have to enjoy your food and, uh, and two, it just needs to be like balanced and in moderation, which of course everyone says about everything, but, uh, but yeah, I think you need to have the, the protein from somewhere you need to have, uh, lots of carbs. And I still think that, you know, 30% of my intake is, is fat. Yeah. Uh, You you touched on an interesting point. Um, you know, like the, a lot of kind of the anecdotal research out there says that the, the ketosis or fat based diet is makes sense if you can do it, but from an athlete perspective that they still really need the carbohydrates for the, the high end performance. So I, yeah, I guess kind of a roundabout way. I was curious because you would come out the Arizona Trail kind of more fat adapted. 
Um, so I imagine like, obviously you, you had the stroke, so you weren't going right into competition. So you wouldn't have been able to see that, but yeah, that would have been an interesting, uh, test if, if you had some events right after. Yeah, actually, uh, I was talking to the race walker, Evan Dunafy. Uh, he got, I think, uh, fourth there in Rio. Uh, it was, kind of, it was a big story at the time. Right. But, um, he has some interesting, uh, anecdotal, I guess, information on this because he talks a lot about, um, doing the, the fat diet like you're talking about. And then, um, and then in the week or in the four days before competition, trans transitioning onto a high carb diet for the competition, but having the fat, uh, burning as like, uh, as a background, uh, advantage for him and in, in his race, his 50 kilometer race walks. Right. So then he has uh, kind of both fronts, his body's adapted to the fat, using fat for energy and then also, um, has the, the carbs up front. So, um, and that's <laughs> probably very paraphrased of what he could actually explain to you about it. Yeah. So basically I think the Arizona trail diet gets you, gets you ready for, um, the Olympic village diet, which I understand is, uh, is it, is it still largely a McDonald's, which, uh, uh, gets behind that? Uh, yeah, they're, they're always in there. Every Olympics I've been to um, but it's, uh, that's not something uh, that I, that I truly think that Usain Bolt actually has any nuggets before his, you know, hundred meter world records and things like that. I think it's something that people, you know, might, uh, indulge in after they're com- done competing and they've come home from a long night out or something. But, um, yeah, I try not to say that name too much. <laughs> <laughs> so what's, uh, What's what's next on your radar here for 2017? Uh, so tomorrow morning, actually, I'm flying to Korea uh, to Pyeongchang uh, and World Championships is in Pyeongchang in two weeks. And uh, yeah, it's like it's my chance to skate and hopefully compete at the Olympic venue uh, in preparation for the Olympics next year over there in Korea. Sweet. And 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 you're getting married, I hear. Yeah, I'll be married may of this year so again trying to make it all work in the off season for josie and i both speed skaters and uh and all like the majority of our friends and and everyone are speed skaters so yeah trying to make it all work and then uh, we'll both be preparing for the olympic season sweet well uh, well normally i I wouldn't say that you you try to make it work but since since your your fiance is also a speed skater i think she gets the the scheduling that you kind of have to plan around uh uh, on the times of year whereas for us regular folk the year gets planned around the wedding (laughs) yeah it's true no it's uh yeah i think josie understands uh as well as me but my coach was not too keen that i didn't plan it for like the week later so it is pretty specific with the coaches but uh Oh, Josie and I are actually going to uh, bike pack to our wedding. Actually, I shouldn't call it bike packing. We're going to bike tour to our wedding, which is in uh, Shushwap Lake. Oh, nice. So we're going to ride from Calgary to Shushwap and probably just uh, stay in hotels, I think, maybe two nights on the way. Yeah, nice. Um, cool. Well, I, I appreciate the, the time, Denny, that you, you took for this. And I, I didn't realize you were heading out right away on a pretty big international flight so um best of luck uh with that and by all means if when you're back and uh if there's still snow on the ground uh look me up and we'll we'll go fat biking up at the nordic center 
Yeah, let's do it. That sounds great. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. Cool. Well, thanks, Denny. And uh, this has been episode nine of the Bike Pack Canada podcast. Cheers.